been preparing for you for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And to be here in this moment with you is just truly, truly amazing. And I didn't realize how significant this idea, Come Alive, was going to be. Because three years ago, almost to the weekend, all of our lives changed significantly. And we haven't been able to gather like this as Heart Conference in over three years. And the Lord gave me these words, come alive, while I was sitting on a dock on vacation in the summer last July. And I began to just envision all that God wanted to do, not even really knowing in that moment if this was going to happen this year. But to be here in this moment, for this to come to fruition is just a reminder to me that those thoughts that you think in your times with the Lord could be the seeds of the beginning of what God wants to do through your life. Don't despise the seeds of thoughts and ideas of what comes in your intimacy with God in your time with Jesus because literally this day, this night, this weekend came in my time with God sitting on a dock in July. And it's so, so beautiful. And when the Lord gave me these words, come alive, I thought it was all about the alive part. I love this. I love life. I, I was like all over this. I started singing songs with come alive in it. I just, I just fully embraced this idea. And the more time I spent with the Lord and the more we prayed as a team, we realized it actually wasn't about the alive part. Yes, the alive is the result, but it was actually about the come part. There was an invitation from Jesus for you and for me to come into his presence, to come and to be with him, to come and to spend time with him and to linger with him. And the result of being with Jesus was that we would come alive. How exciting is that? And so we're going to take you on a journey this weekend. And the journey starts tonight. It starts in worship. It starts with the message. It starts with ministry. We're going to go into tomorrow, and we're going to lead you on a journey that is all going to be an invitation of coming to Jesus. And we're so excited. And all through the scriptures, Jesus gave these invitations, these invitations to come to him. And they were about all kinds of different things. They were inviting those who were thirsty to come to him, John 7, 37. Sorry, just one second. My little string here I think is going to be bothering me. I usually don't wear this. This is not great for girls. We have hair, earrings, all the things. And so if it just starts really bugging me, I might just, I'm going to stick it under my bra strap. There we go. Okay. <laughs> we're all girls. I think we'll be good now. Okay. <laughs> Jesus said in John 7, 37, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. He said, come, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Jesus said, come and follow me. Jesus said, come and you will see. Jesus said, I will come to you. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And so the question this weekend is, Will you accept the invitation of Jesus? You're all invited, but will you accept the invitation? And honestly, it's a little bit of a scary one. 
Because what Jesus is inviting us into is more than we could ever imagine. It's more than we could ever accomplish on our own. And in order to receive these good gifts and these provisions that Jesus has for us, he wants all our hearts, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. He wants our all. But tonight we're going to focus on one of those invitations. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. John 7, 37. All right, did you see in the, in the um, shop the cute mugs? I have one at home. I actually made a bunch of them. We got some sublimation equipment, printers, all these things here at the church. And Pastor Karen and I have been having so much fun crafting a bunch of things. So I drink from my little thirsty mug every morning and love it so, so, so much. Okay. I know. This was a little bit extra. Okay. I, and I have to just tell you this story. So... We wanted to serve, I thought, okay, we're talking about, come all who are thirsty. We have to put water out. It's all about the living water. We've got to put water out. But it can't just be water. It has to be sparkling water because sparkling water is alive. And so it has to be sparkling water. And then we put it out and one of our team said, it's so ugly though. Like, it's so ugly. Like, we can't just put it out like that. I'm like, I cannot think about that right now. Like, like are you serious right now? No, oh, it's so ugly. Can I, can I do something with this? So they hand put little flowers on every bottle and a little gold cap just to make it beautiful for you. I know. That's how much we love you. That's how much we love you. So, so good. But truly, I have always been a huge water drinker in life. I've never really preferred anything else to drink. I have one coffee in the morning. I don't really like juice. I don't drink alcohol. I don't drink pop. Well, except for the occasional Diet Coke. Who are my, where are my Diet Coke lovers out there? I know, right? Like, we, we Diet Coke people are... we, we we love our Diet Coke. Just once in a while, a little Diet Coke. My mom actually is so funny. If she gets a sore stomach, she'll be like, oh, just give me a Diet Coke. I'll be fine. I, I, and she's actually like a health, she's really healthy. But yeah, once in a while, she'll be like, just get me a Diet Coke. My, my stomach will be fine. It works for her. I don't know. It's something in that. But how many of you guys don't like water? Because I feel bad for you. How many like actually hate drinking water? Like you don't like it. I'm so sorry. Like I feel bad for you guys because it's so healthy to drink water. And I think this goes with my personality. I'm literally like this huge drinker of life. I just want to make the most of every moment. Thirsty for more, hungry for more. I work hard. I play hard. I love to create memories. I love details. I love to just go all in on everything that I do. I'm literally the queen of one more stop, much to my poor husband's chagrin. He's like a finisher. He's like, let's get things done. And I'm like, can we just stop here and then here and here? And he's like, whoa, I can always squeeze one more thing in. Jason and I both work here. And so we drive here to work. And so almost every day he'll walk down to my office. He'll say, so what time are we leaving today? And literally every day when he asks me this question, I'm like, I have no idea what time we're leaving today. I don't know how long it's going to take me to get all my work done. I don't know. But I have to come up with a time because he needs a time. So then usually what happens is I'll say, okay, we'll leave at 4.30. 
And then at 4.30, I'll be like texting him saying, I just have one more thing I need to do. It's, it's, a, it's, a constant, it's a constant issue. There's always time for one more thing. And when we go on holidays, I sit my family down and I'm like, okay, guys, we need to suck the marrow out of this vacation. Like, we need to just make the most. And it, am I, is it true? It's so true. I, I literally sit, I, we sit down, we need to make the most of every day. We need to get the most out of this vacation time. We need to take advantage of this time that we have together. And let me just tell you, sucking the marrow looks different for different people. Not everybody <laughs> likes to suck the marrow the way that I like to suck the marrow. For some of them, they like sucking the marrow from their beds. That's just how they do it. That's not me. For me, as soon as the sun's up, especially when I'm on vacation, as soon as the sun is up, I'm like, I got to be up. The day has started. The sun is up. There are things that, there are things to discover. There are things that we need to do. And what happens usually is that most of my family likes to sleep in on vacation. So I get like four hours to myself. It's like amazing. It's like my favorite part of the day. I get to spend time with Jesus. I get to be by myself. I get to go kayak for hours. I can just go as long as I want. No one needs any. It's amazing. It's amazing. The last few summers, though, we've rented the same cottage. And so one of the things for me about sucking the marrow is sort of like discovery. It's just like finding something new. And it doesn't have to be grandiose at all. Like even when I go for a walk in my neighborhood, I always walk a different way. I always go somewhere different. I always just try to discover and see something new. And so when you go on the same type of vacation, you have to be very creative about, you know, what new discoveries there are. And so we had had, uh, last summer, we'd had some new friends join us on vacation. So we're like, guys, I'm like, guys, we need to go hike over to the lookout. And, and this is an ordeal. You have to kayak across the lake, then you get out, and then you have to go on this, like, I mean, it's not that long. It's like a couple kilometers hike. But it's like up a mountain. You're going to the lookout, and then you take this staircase up, to, and you can see the whole the whole place. It's awesome. My kids don't think it's as awesome as I think it is, but it's okay. Like it is a, it's an awesome thing to do. And so on this particular day, we kayaked across. I think we had 10 of, I think there was 10 of us. We kayaked across. We took like six kayaks over. We parked them all in there and it was very hot and sweaty that day. And the bugs for some reason were, I must've rained the day before. They were awful. We literally walked down the whole hike like this, like just swatting bugs. It was it was quite an ordeal. And then one of my kids, who will not be named, gets tight calves and was, like, complaining the whole time. Like, my calves hurt, my calves hurt. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I kind of stayed behind. And we're walking along. And all of a sudden, no joke, we hear this blood-curdling scream. Like, I mean, like, I'm like, oh, like, oh, my goodness. And I take off running. Like, I just take off running. I know the way. And I take off running to where I hear the screaming happening. And I come, and most of my family's already there, and they're, they've got to the bottom of the lookout, and there's a wasp nest in the lookout, and we've upset the wasp nest, all these people, and there are just wasps everywhere, and they're swarming, and they're biting people, and they're screaming, and they're swatting, and, and poor Emma, sorry, I will call you out, Emma, poor Emma, so Emma some wasps flew into her braids. She actually had her hair the same way she's wearing it today. Some wasps flew into her braids and were stinging her head over and over and over again. So I come up to this scene and she's like screaming her head off, going like this, ripping her braids out. I mean, like it was, it was actually seriously traumatizing. Like it was awful. 
We realized after it was only one wasp, but the wasp kept stinging her head over and over and over again, stuck inside of the braid. So it was very traumatic and awful. And the truth is that sometimes too much is too much. And that <laughs> is true. And it was on that particular day. But we do have a memory now and a story to tell. So there is that. But maybe, maybe better for me than Emma. But, but do we recognize that same pattern in our spirit? Thirsty for something to satisfy our spiritual thirst. And I want to talk about the story from the woman at the well in John chapter 4 today. And I just want to pray and bless the reading of God's word. Father, we thank you that your word says that your word is alive and active. We thank you for that truth. And so even as we read your word today, God, may it pierce our spirits. May you speak to us and give us revelation about who you are by the power of your Holy Spirit here today. We invite you to speak to us. And we thank you for the invitation to come. We thank you for the invitation to receive all that is possible in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to start reading from John 4, verses 4 to 6. And it says this. And he had to pass, this is Jesus that he is referring to, through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Jesus found himself tired because he was fully human and he was fatigued, and he was thirsty, and he took some time to rest by the well. And it was noon, and he'd been traveling for a long time. One second. Uh, <laughs> Typically, women didn't go to draw water at noon because it was the hottest part of the day, but women who were rejected, women who had a past, women who didn't fit in, women who were marginalized, usually chose to go to the well at a time when other women weren't there. You know, shame in our life is a powerful motivator. It causes us to hide. It causes us to do things we wouldn't normally do. And it's something we need to pay attention to in our lives. Where does shame show up in our life and cause us to hide? Is it in busyness? Is it striving, proving, overcompensating, defensiveness, anger? It can show up in so many different ways. And it's interesting that she was at Jacob's well. Do you remember the story where Jacob wrestled with God in Genesis 22? You see, Jacob, he was a cheat and a liar. His very name means swindler. He was a deceiver. And his life was marked by deception, deception after deception. And he was living with the consequences of these deceptions. And he came to a place in his life where he realized, I can't live like this anymore. This isn't working for me anymore. And, and Jacob constantly referred to the God of his father. His father was Isaac. His grandfather was Abraham. And he would refer to the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. He never referred to God as his God, even though God was his God. And yet here he finds himself in a moment wrestling with God, wrestling with an angel of the Lord that represented God. And when the angel realized, oh my goodness, this guy's not going to let up. 
the angel touched his hip and put his hip socket out. And for the rest of his days, he would walk with a limp. And it would be a reminder of this wrestling with God. You see, Jacob leaned in in that moment and wrestled through his weakness. It was the final fight of his life, coming to the full terms of who he really was. And he was touched in that moment by the living water and received a new name and a new life. You know, sometimes you and I walk with a limp in life. Sometimes the world perceives limitations that we actually despise about ourselves. But what if God is at work in the midst of our limp, in the midst of our limitations? I believe there is an identity-shaping gift hidden right in the midst of our greatest limitations. And what if you and what if I could embrace our weakness and walk through the rest of our life with that limp as a reminder that God is with us? You see, what is the alternative to that? We just keep wrestling. We just keep fighting, fighting the inner nature, fighting the very weakness that gives way to the purposeful provision that God has for you. Let's go back to the Samaritan woman for a moment. Here she finds herself at this very well, this well where Jacob realized his need for living water. Limited, living in shame, her life not turning out at all like she imagined it would. Have you ever reflected on your life and thought that? Wow, things didn't turn out how I thought they would. It's the reality for a lot of us. Verse 7 says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It was almost like Jesus in this moment was saying to her, If you knew what Jacob knew, If you knew that there was a gift to be found right here today in the middle of your greatest weakness and vulnerability. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. You see, she was a woman of faith. She knew the stories of faith. She knew about God. She knew the history She knew what was written for him, but she had not yet had a revelation of life, her own come alive moment in her knowledge of God. And you know, for you and I, this is an issue. Often we will come to faith. We can believe God for things. We can even believe the things of God. We believe what the Bible says and we quote it and we practice it and we live it. But for many of us, there's still this wrestle deep in our flesh God does not have our all. He only has some. And I know this because I was the woman at the well, thirsty and hungry for something. And I knew about God. I actually knew a lot about God. But there was so much shame. And God did not have my all. And I was trying to earn my way into God's favor by by doing all the things that I thought I was supposed to do. And one day in a worship service, just like we were in, God poured living water over my dry and weary and cracked and broken soul. 
And all of the sudden, I came alive into something new. God became my God, not just the God of my parents, not just the God of other people, but my God. And there was an invitation to come and to be with him, to do life with him. And I was able to lay down that shame and lay down all that was working against what God wanted to do in my life. I was changed. I was baptized and filled in the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of life, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You see, Jesus offers her an invitation, and it's the same invitation that he offers to you and to me. Come to me. Drink of me and you will never be thirsty again. And the woman wanted this water, yet her motivation was to be relieved of the burden of having to come and draw water every day. To be relieved of the pain and the shame and the humiliation of her life. She still does not see Jesus' invitation to come alive. She cannot see that actually Jesus is this living water that she is longing for. And we're so the same. Our first motivation is relief from our weakness, from our pain, from the limitations of our past, from that which has been unjustly done to us, from that which we regret most in our life. Could Jesus actually just give me what I want, what I think I need, what I think I deserve? If I come to you, Jesus, would you remove all these limitations from my life? Would you take away my regrets? Would you heal my marriage? Would you give me a baby? If I come to you, Jesus, would you heal my child's mental health struggles? Would you heal me from this diagnosis? Would you take away my financial struggles? Jesus, what can you do for me? You see, our first and foremost human response is relief. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to draw water from this well anymore. Yet Jesus does something very different than what she was expecting. Jesus leans in and he touches on her greatest vulnerability. Listen to what he says. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. I always find that line so funny. Like, it's like, I don't know why, but I always hear it in such a funny way in my mind, and I'm like, yeah, obviously. (laughs) Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. It's just, sorry, so funny. How fascinating is it, though? How fascinating is it that this interaction with Jesus that is taking place, that the next thing Jesus speaks to would be her most vulnerable place of pain and shame. He touches her hip. He touches the very weakness and goes to the root of what she's been trying to do to quench her thirst probably for her whole life. And as he leans into this moment with her, He means absolutely no shame. He shines his light, the light of his presence into the most hidden places of her heart so he can pour out rivers of living water into the dry and parched and weary land of her cracked soul. 
You see, within our greatest vulnerabilities lies the key that unlocks the fullness of our healing and our identity and our purpose. I want to say that again because it's an uncomfortable thing to receive. Within, the great, within our greatest vulnerabilities lies the key that unlocks the fullness of our healing and our identity and our purpose. And I don't know why that is. I wish it was not the case. My vulnerability is the place I don't want to go. It's the place I feel most exposed and afraid. It's the place I don't want to face. In fact, I'll do anything else. I'll even face the wasp nest. I wonder if all of the busyness and all of the sucking the marrow out of everything is only a distraction from going to the deepest places of the soul where our vulnerability lies. And we see this again and again and again, that this is the only place where true freedom and intimacy and healing are found. You know, sometimes when I read these stories, I imagine myself in, as a character in the story. So what would this interaction look like or feel like if I was the woman at the well? And I sort of imagined this the other day, sort of how this could possibly go in my day and my time right now. And this is what it would look or feel like for me. So I'm at Costco at noon on a Tuesday, <laughs> picking up cases and cases of sparkling water for a very large event that I'm planning and preparing for that may have actually happened. My mind is full of details and I'm a little bit annoyed that I have to do this on top of everything else and a bit honestly worried about my back because these cases of water are actually really heavy. And I'm wearing my winter jacket because it's winter and I'm inside Costco and I'm sweating my Batunski off as I'm lifting case after case after case of water. And Jesus comes along to me comes by as I'm doing this, and he says, woman, give me a drink. And of course, on the outside, I'm like, oh, okay. I smile because I'm polite. But on the inside, I'm like, I'm not your mother. Um, you can probably find a drink somewhere else. How is it that you are asking for a drink from me? That's what she said to him. How is it that you are asking for a drink from me? And Jesus would re respond to me with saying, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him to help you and he would have given you living water. Well, honestly, I am very hot and thirsty. I don't know where this water is that you're talking about. You don't even have a cart. You don't have any water with you. Where are you going to get the water from? And he says, I have water that will quench the thirst of everyone forever. You will never have to come here to Costco to pick up water again. <laughs> everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Well, that would be amazing. I hate coming to Costco to get the water. And where do I get this water? I would love to never have to do this again. And this is where the person of Jesus in the middle of Costco would say the one thing that nobody else knows as he calls out my greatest vulnerability 
and weakness and brokenness and pain. Because he knows that that is the place where the living water needs to flow. And you see, this invitation of Jesus is not just a one-time encounter when you give your life to the Lord. It's not just a one-time experience. It's a vibrant and continual invitation into healing and life and purpose. And more importantly, into being. It's an invitation to come and to lay down our pain and our vulnerability and just to be in the presence of Jesus and just to be with him, completely loved, completely accepted, and healed. Where is that place of your deepest vulnerability? What's the question that Jesus might ask you that would lead you to your greatest fear, loss, weakness, limitation, or vulnerability? You see, one very, very normal day, something came to light in our family that truly was the realization of my greatest fear. Someone that I loved and cared about greatly was hurt, and I couldn't protect them. I didn't have what it took to protect someone I love, and the pain of this was more than I could bear. And this is what Jesus would have talked to me about in Costco that day. This is the place that he would have wanted to pour his saving power of living water into my soul. You see, at the core message of my life was this message that I wasn't enough, and in all my efforts to love and protect my loved ones, to make them safe and happy, I just couldn't. This would have been one of the moments that I wrestled with for many years to come. The moment where Jesus touches my hip, this is the cause for my limp. And that I would limp for the rest of my life because of this reality. And it's so fascinating how these fears that we have, these greatest fears in our life, for a long time follow us around. And, and, and sometimes seem to work for us. We pick up these jars and we carry them around, filling them in all kinds of different ways. For years I told myself, it's your job to make everyone happy and safe. And no one's going to actually be there for you. You actually can't trust anyone to be there to help you. You're going to have to do it all yourself. What a lie. And what a heavy burden to bear. What a heavy container to carry. You see, the woman at the well, she'd been married five times and now was with her sixth man. Something that she was doing was working for her. She kept going back and again and again to the same situation to quench her thirst. And it comes a point in most of our lives, if not yet, usually eventually, a moment that trumps all the other moments where we come face to face with that greatest fear and vulnerability. And how we respond determines whether we're going to embrace our weakness and walk with a limp for the rest of our life or whether we're going to keep on wrestling. Because if we don't yield and embrace the limp, we're going to keep going around the mountain again and again and again. But if we yield and we allow the living water of Jesus to flow into every part of our being, we're going to be healed. And what is so powerful about yielding is it deepens our trust in Jesus so that when the next storm comes, we learn to yield faster because it's a continual exchange that we have. It happens again and again, and Jesus lovingly and continually touches on the things that need healing in our life. The woman said to him, we're at 
verse 25 now. I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. And this is the moment. This is the moment where the revelation happens, where the come alive moment, where her eyes are open and she sees something she never saw before. All Jesus says to her is this, I who speak to you am he. Something happens in this exchange as Jesus reveals himself to her and she believes and she receives the living water that is Jesus, the person of Jesus, the invitation to come to Jesus. And I love the next verse. It's one of my favorites of this whole story because it says, so the woman left her water jar behind and went away in the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went went out of the town and were coming to him. This woman experienced the abundant life that Jesus came to bring. She leaves her water jar behind. She literally leaves it and runs and tries to tell everybody, you have to come and meet this man that I just met. You have to come and meet the living water. We carry around with us these jars of limited supply. We're filling them with all kinds of things, trying to quench the thirst of our soul. And none of those things are going to quench it. We have to keep going back and refilling and keep going back and refilling. But what if today we could actually leave our water jar behind and come to the only one that can quench the true thirst of our soul? What if we faced our weakness and our vulnerability like Jacob? And walked with a limp for the rest of our life, but knew that we had received the blessing of God. What if we recognized our utter need of Jesus, the living water? Listen to what happened because one woman was filled with living water, left her water jar behind. Verse 42 says, they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know this is indeed the savior of the world. The entire town was filled with living water. You see, you're never too far gone for Jesus to heal, to heal you. You're never too far gone. I don't know your story. I don't know if it's similar to this woman's story. I've been married five times and I'm with my sixth husband man now. I don't know if you've got a history of abuse, addiction. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know your story at all, but Jesus does. And you are never too far gone for Jesus to invite you to come to him and for him to pour the living water that will quench your thirsty soul. But you and I are going to have to leave those containers holding all the efforts of our quenching our thirst in our own strength. You and I are going to need to embrace the limp of our vulnerability and our weakness and trust the only source of life that can truly satisfy our soul. Many years ago, someone gave me a prophetic word. It was one of those prophetic words that when you receive it, you're like, Wow, like I am going to do amazing things for God. Like, thank you. Finally, you know, like, yes, like I receive it in Jesus' name. It was so good. It was based in this scripture, Psalm 1833. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and sent me secure on the heights. And I'm like, yes, take me to the mountaintop, Lord. Set my feet secure. I'm finally going to arrive. I don't know where I was arriving, but I'm finally going to arrive. And this word was 
so impactful for me. And it was all about the qualities of a deer. And it just had all these things. But there was one line in the word that said that God was going to use your vulnerability. I kind of skipped over that part and just read the rest. And I was like, yes, I held on to it. And I, I really, it was powerful. It really impacted me. And I printed the word out. And I went to Winners and I bought a picture of a deer. And I put the word on the back of the picture. And I had it in my office. And I just was like, okay, Lord, little did I know, little did I know that that word was preparation for the hardest season of my life to date. A season that honestly almost took me out of the game. A season that brought me to my knees, that made me have to face my greatest weakness and my greatest vulnerability. And I had a choice. I had a choice in that moment of whether I was going to let what happened define my future or whether I was going to step into forgiveness and whether I was going to allow the living water to flow into my cracked and broken heart. You see, some of you are facing a great darkness right now. And you, have a, and you feel like in the darkness, where is God? You're asking, God, where are you in the darkness? And the truth is that if you have eyes to see, he's right there with you. Some of you, the darkness that you face is so dark that, you know, the, the darkness that when you put your hand in front, you can't see. But if you have eyes to see, he is right there with you. And for so many of us, when we're facing incredibly dark seasons, it's so, we're so quick to blame God. Why is this happening? Why have you allowed this to happen? Why are you doing this to me? There is only one that is capable of the darkness that comes into our life, and it is not God. He is right there with you in the midst of the darkness. But there is an enemy of your soul, a very real enemy of your soul, and his plan is for destruction. And he brings darkness into our life. But there is a light and there is a hope in the midst of the darkness. You see, one day Peter found himself in a very dark storm. He was terrified. He actually thought he might die at sea. But Jesus was present right there in the darkness. Jesus began walking on the water towards the boat. And the disciples were even more terrified because they thought it was a ghost. And Jesus said these words, don't be afraid, it is I. My mom came up here earlier and she talked about fear. And if that's you today, if you're struggling in fear, listen to the words of Jesus. Listen to the invitation. Don't be afraid. It is I. I'm with you in that darkness. And Peter said to Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. Jesus had just said, it's me. He still wasn't sure, though. <laughs> he wasn't sure. Jesus had just said, it is I. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. And he said, if it's you, though, don't we do that, though? Don't we do that with God all the time? Is it really, are you, are you sure you're there? Are you, at, it is I. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Peter, unsure if it is really him, takes a step out of the boat. He says, he says, to, he says to Jesus, if it is you, invite me to come. And Jesus says, come. He says, come. Come and be with me. Come to me. And Peter does. He takes a step. And Jesus is inviting you tonight to come too. I believe that Jesus has a specific and special invitation for each and every one of you today. And the question is, will you receive the invitation? 
For some of you, the invitation is a revelation into a personal relationship with Jesus. For some of you, God has been someone you know about, but maybe don't really know for yourself. He's never really been your God. If that's you tonight and you're sensing an invitation to receive God's saving grace, to receive the blessing that comes after wrestling with your greatest vulnerability, to receive the living water that is Jesus, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a moment. But you might be here tonight and you might be one that has been sucking the marrow out of a lot of things that have nothing to do with Jesus. And I want to invite you tonight to pray with me as well, to receive the living water, to quench the thirst of your soul, to receive a fresh baptism of living water. And so I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes. And if either of those are you tonight, I'm just going to invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Let's say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to give me living water. Forgive me for all the things I have tried to fill my thirst. I receive you, Jesus, the living water. Fill me today with abundant life. Help me to abide in you, Jesus. Baptize me in your Holy Spirit today. Fill me afresh and empower me in your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now I want to ask uh, if anybody is here today and you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus for the first time today. If that's you and you're brave enough, just would you just wave at me or... Okay. Can I walk or no? Can I walk? Yes? Okay. I have a little tradition that I give away a Bible um, when I speak, and I thank you for having the courage to raise your hand today. And I just want to tell you that you have made one of the most important decisions you will ever make in your life. And you have no idea from this moment what God is going to do. This is significant beyond significant for you. And my prayer for you is that the living water would pour over every single part of your dry and weary soul and that healing would come and that God, would, his spirit would arise in you in a profound and powerful way. And you will begin to actually do things you never imagined were possible. I'm so proud of you for just raising your hand and acknowledging today. And we celebrate this decision. I want to give you this Bible. I just want to invest this in you because you're going to need this for your journey. You're going to need it. And I, I want to bless you with it today, okay? So just pass that down. Bless you. Ladies, I think we need to give a huge shout because there was more than one. She was just the first one that I saw, but I saw several hands. I saw several hands go up. And so I just, we just want to celebrate making a decision for Jesus today. For all of the women.